The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. And we're back here on Analyze This, and we definitely want to thank the good people from the French Academy Perform Performing Arts over there in St. Thomas for giving us such uh, awesome discussion here on Arts Thursday uh, to, you know, keep keep the show, keep the flavor at the heights that it's established. So thank you very much, Miss Lawrence, Miss Harrigan, and Miss Nelson. Okay? Tonight, right? Channel 12, 9 p.m. Tulsa, The Fire and The Forgotten. Although rarely mentioned in textbooks, there is no question that the Tulsa Race Massacre was one of the most horrific incidents of racial violence in American history. As the country continues to reflect on the shocking murders and arson that took place from May 31st to June 1st in 1921. Directed by Jonathan Silvers and reported by the Washington Post, Deneen L. Brown, Tulsa, the fire and the forgotten looks back at the explosion of violence when the once prosperous neighborhood known as Black Wall Street was destroyed by a mob of white residents. Hundreds of black-owned businesses and homes in the Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma were burned to the ground, killing an estimated 100 to 300 black residents and leaving an estimated 10,000 black residents homeless. This 90-minute documentary, narrated by Emmy-winning journalist Michael Martin, Amanpour and company contributor, and weekend host of NPR's All Things Considered, also chronicles present-day public efforts to memorialize, memorialize the Tulsa Race Massacre and other racial violence around the country and how black and white communities view such efforts. Tulsa, the fire and the forgotten. Tonight on Channel 12 at 9 p.m. Okay? And also, um, <clears throat> tonight, right, episode 5 of the Virgin Isles Case Files uh, that airs tonight um, at 8.30. That is February 16th at 8.30 p.m. And it repeats uh, Saturday, February 18th at 9 p.m. Virgin Isles Case File continues its run this Thursday. February 16th with the all-new episode featuring the unsolved homicide cases of two Virgin Islands National Guards members. Episode 5 of the monthly series will take a closer look at the stories of Private First Class Kiwan Norton and Staff Sergeant David Francois. Kiwan Norton, a first-time a first -time father of a one-month baby boy, was serving on territorial active duty in St. Thomas supporting the 2017 hurricane relief effort at the time of his murder. The 21-year-old guardsman left the National Guard Armory between 8 and 9 p.m. on September 27, 2017, and he was found shot to death the next morning in the yard of a Smith Bay residence by two people surveying hurricane damages to their home. No one knows who he went to. No one knows why he was found in Smith Bay, said Sergeant Dwight Griffith of the Virgin Islands Police Department. If anyone knows anything, please say something. David Francois, 
a former paratrooper, was working as a computer specialist with the Virgin Islands National Guard at the time of his death. His wife reported to police that she found him dead while the two were at a beach in Fredericksted on the afternoon of Monday, November 18, 2013. We believe that this was more than likely a murder for hire, but to prove it, that's where we are in this puzzle, says Lieutenant Naomi Joseph. So we're actually and hopeful that after somebody sees this, that they may come forward and say what they know. The Virgin Islands case filed tonight at 8.30 here on Channel 12. So, good programming tonight on the dozen, okay? So, tune in at 8.30. I get a Virgin Islands case file, and then you got uh, the, the story about uh, Tulsa, the fire and the forgotten. And, you know, when I read that, you know, um, to, just reading about it, you know, make, make sure, you know, make you want to ball, you know, check. I make you appreciate that, you know, when we believe we got hard times, that is hard times. To see everything that you invested in and built up, you know, a society, a community, to be to be known as Black Wall Street. And the one incident um, that, you know, was deemed a racial thing and next thing you know, you know, a segment, a, a small, minute percentage of white America just destroys a, a wealthy uh, part of uh, black America over in Tulsa, the, the Plains. Uh, that one they had to believe. Juneteenth is what uh, it's referred to. Okay? So, um, we're going to transition now to the Department of Health. Um, I believe we got Ms. Stout on the line, right? Ms. Money for Stout. Good morning. James, I should say Happy New Year. I haven't spoken to you for the New Year. Yes, sir. It's been a long, long time. Happy New Year, man. Even though uh, more than half of February done gone already, time flying. I know, a... I know. So right. you got to fix that, huh? Yeah, so I hear you're flying solo this morning. Or you got some other people joining. I should have with me my colleague, Dr. Uh, Brett Ellis. No, Brett, from... Brett, apparently Brett ain't going to make it this morning. So, Brett, oh, Brett yeah. yeah. Brett got some running. So, so Neville, we... can you hear me? Oh, Brett. Yeah, man. I did, make it. I did make it. I had to uh, also wish you a uh, happy new year. Okay, okay, you make it. So you're good, man. Glad to have you, man. I haven't heard, I ain't heard from you, I ain't heard from you in like forever, man. What's up, Brett? Yeah, we're doing all, all right. You know, I was just operating, uh, you know, behind the scenes. But yeah, I uh, didn't want to miss the opportunity uh, to talk to you and the listeners. No, nah, man, I like that. Thank you very much. I had gotten word that you might not make it, but I'm glad you're here, man. Appreciate you. Good to hear your voice. So how you? So first of all, Miss Stout, how you been? I've been doing quite well, quite well. Um, good things to uh, report. Looking forward to having the department and, of course, uh, the opportunity to provide vaccines during the fair this weekend. So things are good. That's that's awesome. And Brent, I know you. You and I, you know, uh, when we first started talking almost three years ago. Um, you said it was a marathon and you've never been so right in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. It's been a, a long uh, few years, but obviously uh, we're doing well. This is a great time of year here in the Virgin Islands. Great to say, you know, everybody getting ready for the Ag Fair this weekend and just having carnival. So that's, you know, th things are things are things are getting better. So, yeah, it's exciting. No, no, Brent, how does this thing work like clockwork? We're. We, we actually anticipate when we're going to have surges and then, you know, the, the remediation happens just like we anticipated. What, what's up with that? Well, we're getting a lot of practice, right? <laughs> yeah. 
No, I think, uh, you know, we would have those, win you know, we'll always have these winter kind of surges, but we have that for all kinds of, of respiratory viruses, right? And then we have like, you know, summertime there is when kids are back in school, that kind of thing. So, yeah, we're getting used, used to these, um, you know, cycles. Um, and yeah, it'll be similar, you know, similar to other, other viruses. But uh, yeah, it is good. I did hear you yesterday. I think we had a couple of... Uh, Big zeros yesterday for cases on St. Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I saw. I saw the numbers. Uh, we only <laughs> we, we had what I think like. Wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Make sure I get one hundred and sixty negatives and three positives. We can live with that ratio every day and twice on Sundays, right? Yeah, we like that. We like that. <laughs> <laughs> Missed out. Um, November came. I, I reached out to um, Doctor Hunt Caesar. Uh, we came on and we, we we because I you know. I saw what happened the latter part of 2020, latter part of 2021, and it's it's, it's pretty much a routine now. We're um, holiday season, people congregating, and the likelihood of infections tend to go up. And then after we clear um, the the festival, of course, we anticipate you know some so with that congregating, juve and people going village parade numbers gonna go up. And then by the end of the end of January, coming into February, the numbers start to come back down. It looks like this is going to be the deal going forward, Ms. Stoughton. Yes, and as Dr. Uh, Dr. Ellis explained, it's it's in waves. You know, So we pretty much anticipate uh, these things happening, and we just prepare for them. And our public message will stay the same for persons to get their booster. Um, as you may be already aware, we have moved to bivalent now. That is the booster that is most aggressive toward the variant we're dealing with. And so we will continue to send our message to the greater public that they need to get their bivalent va vaccine and get boosted. I'm due for my second booster in uh, February of that vaccination <clears throat> series. So in next week, I should be getting mine. So <laughs> just to prepare. And um, that's going to be our message moving forward. You know, get boosted, get boosted, get vaccinated. Brett, Brett how, do, how do we deal with, with, with the... The legitimate, I'm going to call it legitimate, the legitimate concern for for the naysayers. You know, sometimes naysayers are correct, where they they claim you get, a, you get a vaccine, but the new variant, you don't have any effect with the new variant. I find that hard to believe, by the way, because, uh, you know, vaccines are supposed to strengthen your body and protect you. Um, you know, you never know. You know, I, I think there's still an uncertainty here with respect to if, in fact, the vac being vaccinated. Let's say you get the the first vaccine early two thousand, right? And people are saying, well, you get a variant in 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 the middle of twenty twenty two. The variant that 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 you you may be exposed to the vaccine from twenty twenty one doesn't have any effect. I don't know about that. How do we? I, I, I'm I'm starting to question. But how do how do we know the vaccine ain't that good? Yeah, I mean, I think the data you want to look at is the percentage of hospitalization Thank you. and mortality. Yeah. Um, you know, not as, as effective as you know, maybe we would initially. Look like we lose, because I can't hear him. Look like we lose Brett there. Miss um, you there? No, I am. Okay, yeah, yeah. For some reason, um, we lose we lose contact with Brett. 
we're right there. But um, Mr. Stout, speak a little bit about that. You know, we we, we, we we have a segment of the population, and you know something, dissent is good. I don't have a problem with dissent because it, it, it forces us to ask ourselves some questions and continue to want to research and learn more. But when I look in at, and I, and I look in at, we've been doing this daily from the first day I came on, um, and I look in at the hospitalization numbers and all that stuff that serve as a good metric to let me know what's going on. To me, vaccinated population look like, you know, they, 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 they're holding their own better than the unvaccinated population. That's just me with the raw numbers. Right. And um, that's what our epidemiology team equips us with uh, on a daily basis are those uh, th that data, th that those statistics that help to keep us aware of what our trends are. And so we use that to educate the public on where we are as a territory and to use that to also for fodder, if you will, to justify our promotion of vaccination. Um, it is a universal thing. It's not just limited to the territory. The hesitancy is across the board. All program managers and all jurisdictions that have immunization programs go through this as well. But our epidemiology team is really on point, which is what I believe Dr. Ellis was getting to, to say that that's what they look at. You know, what are the hospitalizations? What are the, what's the flow in terms of um, the number of infections, um, how we need to look at it and how we need to use that data to better give us guidance on what we need to do to serve the public and really uh, use that as our sermon, if you will, for uh, the importance of vaccination. Now, talk a little bit about department outreach uh, because, you know, as we we get further away from when we were blindsided by this in 2020, mm -hmm. um, we don't want people to take, take anything for granted and, and let their guard down. Right. So what we do in terms of outreach is now what we did earlier, as everyone was aware, was mass vaccination. We had a mobile vaccination to persons who are homebound and persons who otherwise had challenges accessing vaccine. Our focus right now um, across the nation, and so it's not um, just specific to here, we're actually unified in this effort, is that of vaccine equity making sure that there are pockets of the community that for whatever reason has challenges accessing vaccine to make sure that they get it. If that means that we need to increase public education, um, if that means we need to choreograph different outreach methods uh, to reach these target populations, um, if that means we need to take advantage of public forums like the Ag Fair uh, this coming up this weekend to better educate, we will use those avenues to make sure that our vaccine equity or access is um, where it needs to be so that no one can say that they didn't have an opportunity or that we didn't have vaccines available or derive any excuse to not get vaccinated. So the, the talk right now nationally, which is what we're a part of as well, is that of vaccine equity. So right now in my program, we're in the process of looking at that. Um, I just got back from a conference with the Association of Immunization Managers that really discussed this at length. And we shared ideas about what we need to do in our own communities to make sure that we address the issue of vaccine equity. Now, what you know as well is that for other jurisdictions outside of the Virgin Islands, it's about reaching minority populations, right? Because there is a overarching issue with healthcare equity um, in specific to vaccination. We may not have that particular issue in terms of um, um, race or ethnicity and, and that equity that is being addressed there. For us, it could be, um, um, what would I want to say? Like, uh, it could be 
persons who are, you know, not uh, primarily English speaking, right? We have a cross section in our community uh, where there may be um, missed communication or missed opportunities. Um, we have to research how it varies for us and what that vaccine equity access would look like mm -hmm. in the territory. So, so we have a bit of homework to do, even though we're kind of in the same conversation, it just varies for us. So we have to not, I wouldn't say go back to the drawing board, but just look at the whole picture differently. That's awesome. Now, now Brett, you, you have a relationship with the CDC, right? Um, how is that working out with us right now? Because they were very, very, very important, uh, a critical component, providing support for us early on, um, on the outset, an onset uh, of the vaccine, uh, of the virus, I should say, um, rolling through the territory. How's that relationship? Yeah, that, that relationship's great. I, I think we probably talk with someone from the CDC ne nearly every day, but uh, they do. You know, strong supporters, uh, very strong supporters, you know, for all, all the work here uh, in terms of public health and, and, and you know, COVID, COVID as well. Uh, certainly could not do it without them. They also provide a lot of guidance. You know, we follow uh, some of their guidance on trends or if things are changing. Um, so, yeah, they, they've been great. Uh, they'll always be <laughs> great, I think, in, in helping us down here. Did they, didn't they announce that, that, that they're, um, they're shutting down the tracking thing? They're not going to be tracking like they did before. I had seen um, that main tracker that was at John Hopkins. The, John, I, I the Johns Hopkins, down. correct, correct, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what support they had federally, but the numbers of visitors they had for, for that was amazing. And yeah, we continue to transition. I think from the laboratory side, the big change that we've started to see, you know, over this winter was instead of just doing COVID tests, now we're adding other respiratory viruses. So, you know, we're also testing for flu at the same time of COVID. And I haven't, we're, we're doing that here as well. I haven't seen, uh, but also other, you know, other respiratories like RSV, but to put this, you know, COVID in that whole group of respiratory viruses that, that we do surveillance for. Now, now when we come back, cause I had, a, we, we, we spoke about you last week, me and Dwayne Henry, cause I get him on like once a week. Uh, we do a little bushy talk here, and he was telling us about the infrastructure that you had that 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 was critical for us, that was not prevalent throughout the country. So when we come back, can you please uh, enlighten the public again as to the type of freezers you had and all that stuff um, that we were benefiting from as a territory uh, back in 2020, um, late 2020, when we first were getting access to the vaccine. We'll take a break. Be back with the Department of Health right after this. A new year equals new business opportunities at Bank of St. Croix. Bank of St. Croix offers deposit banking products, business online platforms, and commercial loans. Their SBA lending department offers financing options and access to capital for businesses. Bank of St. Croix has two locations, one in Gallus Bay, 340-773-8500, and one in Peters Rest, 340-713-8500. Bank of St. Croix is an equal housing lender. BankofStCroix.com. I'm Scott Tong from Public Radio's Midday News Magazine, Here and Now. We bring you all the news that happens between the morning headlines and the afternoon wrap-up. Plus, conversations with authors and artists, stories that affect you, maybe a story about you. 
So join us for NPR's Midday News Magazine, Here and Now. Weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 p.m. Right here on WTJX FM 93.1. Welcome to the Virgin Islands. The USVI Caribbean Music Festival on St. Croix officially launches on Friday, February 17th. This is a free community event presented by the U.S. Virgin Islands Department of Tourism, curated by the United Jazz Foundation in collaboration with Jazz at Lincoln Center, and sponsored by the VI Lottery. The event runs from 6.30 to 11.30 p.m. along the Waterfront Promenade in Fredericksdale and features Grammy Award-winning jazz vocalist Diane Reeves, Marsvin Davids, Caribbean Players of St. Croix, and Calvin Johnson and native son of New Orleans. For more information, CaribbeanMusicHeritage.org or 646-725-3353. Sundays at 11 p.m. on W. And we're back here uh, on a beautiful Thursday in paradise. Um, we got the Department of Health, the good people, the beautiful people from the Department of Health who've been taking care of us for the better part of three years. And we're also joined now by the medical director. You know, we, first we got Ms. Money Fist out on, and of course, Brett Ellis. But the medical director, um, the notorious TCHC, Taika Mil Hunt Caesar, joining the conversation. Good morning, Madam Founding Dean. How are you? How are you? All right, good. Good to hear. Good to hear your voice. So, um, tell us where we at um, as it relates to um, managing the virus. Um, I think uh, I think we're doing good. I saw some some numbers on the New York Times where one day we had the the, the greatest reduction in in cases by percentage over a two week period at at sixty seven percent reduction. So we're doing good. Correct. I think we also have, um, you know, the population on our on our side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, um, a lot of individuals don't necessarily go out for testing anymore. Um, but as um, Brett um, mentioned earlier, that we are interested in looking for other respiratory viruses uh, because they are definitely um, circulating viruses in the community that are not COVID. So um, we, we've had uh, reports of positive um, um, other viruses such as metanumovirus and parainfluenza virus. So those are definitely other viruses that are circulating, but it doesn't necessarily have to be COVID. So um, the numbers are coming down, but again, it's trending also in the in the same direction that we always um, that we always see with a blip in the in the winter months, and then you know hopefully it comes back, it comes down. But it, it's very good that it's coming down faster in our territory. Good for us. Yeah, how 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 are we doing at um, Schneider and and Wang Louis with with in in house patients? So we're doing well with hospitalizations. We have because of the the recent surge, we have weekly hospital huddles or hospital meetings to with the uh, with the joint incident command format to ensure that we um, are um, planning and shunting resources and allocating resources appropriately, I should say. And um, the, we've seen the numbers fluctuate. Um, sometimes we have like five admissions in one hospital, and then other days we have zero. 
But the good news is that we have rarely had any need for um, vent- ventilation or mechanical ventilators with, um, with the, the need for lots and lots of oxygen. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, every once in a while, we will see that, that case where we do have a, have a vent requirement. And then, unfortunately, we did have um, some recent deaths with the surge. But again... Um, it is much lower than um, than what we that what we have seen in other jurisdictions. So we're just happy that um, that we have not had to activate our um, surge um, units, like the um, the you know the COVID unit, and um, and and. But that's why we are absolutely trying to spread the word uh, for individuals to get um, vaccinated with the bivalent booster, which will protect you against the current current circulating strains. If you, if you have been boosted, a lot of people think that because they've been boosted before that they're fine, but you have to be boosted with the bivalent booster to be to be current and up-to-date and protected against the, the most current circulating um, 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 variants and subvariants. Um, speaking of infrastructure, Brett, um, talk a little bit about um, how, how we were able to get the kind of freezers and all that stuff that you had um, so that when the vaccines rolled out in December of 2020, we were in a position uh, to provide and protect protect the the allocation that we had and provide it for for our our people here in the territory. Yeah, so I think we were in a, a pretty unique position in in the Virgin Islands in that previously we did not have a public health lab, but the government and the CDC had some foresight that, you know, we need a facility. And because of that, uh, we started putting it in after the hurricanes and then it went in right before COVID. So we had a very modern, modern lab um, that uh, a lot of that equipment that was very useful for COVID we had before other places and then it was hard to get. So some of the instrumentation we used uh, was, you know, state of the art. Uh, And since that time, other places have added it. So Schneider has you know, this great instrument, uh, Puerto Rico Department of Health added after us, but really was advantageous for us. And freezers were particularly something that are in certain types of labs, but not, you know, weren't widely available. So we did have that. And Monife and I worked really closely together in, in the beginning because we did have those freezers. We're able to take those uh, vaccines. Uh, now, immunization and Monife have their own freezers like that. So it really has been a good opportunity for COVID to modernize these labs. The challenge in the past was a lot of it wasn't automated. It was be doing by hand. And when you go from, you know, dozens of cases to hundreds or thousands a day, uh, thousands a day, you can't just hire and fire people. So now uh, a lot of that burden is on the instruments themselves. So yeah, we were fortunate. We had a brand new modern lab and some of the other labs had equipment that's, you know, decades old, 20 years old, uh, a lot of the equipment that was being used. So yeah, we were fortunate and I'm proud uh, that the government and CDC had that foresight uh, and provided us, you know, the opportunity to to have a, a modern lab, you know, equivalent to anywhere else in the U.S. So I, I, I was uh, really proud of that uh, for for our, for dealing with COVID. Money for look, looking back, and I, you know, what, I'll, I'll ask this across the board. I'll start with you, um, Mr. Stout, Director Stout. Why do you think our our immunization numbers are so low compared to the other insular possessions, Guam? American Samoa, CNMI, and Puerto Rico? Um, I don't know if I could fairly say why. I can definitely say, though, as a territory and as a Department of Health, it was a uniformed and unified effort to make sure that we 
made vaccines available uh, widely. And first, even prior to that, making sure that we received our allotment um, on, at the same time as the rest of the nation, that there were no delays in making sure that the territory was prepared to receive vaccine. There were a lot of steps involved in that. It wasn't just like, oh, here's our address, send us vaccine. We had to make sure that uh, healthcare providers, whether or not they were originally vaccinating providers, uh, signed proper documentation, were properly, uh, properly trained about the types of vaccine coming out, um, that we met with them and, um, answered all questions and we've received a lot of guidance as dr ellis uh, explained from the cdc to help prepare us for this next it involved a lot of partnership um, before my program received their refrigeration unit um, the public health lab already had theirs which was great and helpful we had some private providers on st croix who also had the ultra cold storage unit in particular where we also partnered with the university of the virgin islands i must make mention of them who allowed us to uh, use their unit in the interim so that when the vaccines became available we can receive them store them and administer them in addition to that we also uh, partnered with national guard we also partnered with the u.s army i mean there was a lot of partnerships involved to make sure that vaccines were made available if that set the tone or the trend for the rest of the vaccination campaign throughout, I would attribute it to those initial steps to help us get to where we are today. Um, Dr. Hunt sees that when I look at the, the, the data and I look at the mainland in particular, and I see um, for the last seven days, basically this is the John Hopkins uh, Coronavirus Center. The last seven days we've had, this is America now, right? Nationwide, 2,716 deaths which is just under about 400 deaths per day, right? We're still at, and that's a big number. We can all agree, all four of us, that's a big number, right? 400 a day is a, is a, is a number you got to respect, right? We all agree on that? No, absolutely. And, um, and, and, 400, and, 400 deaths a day, is, you know, it's, it's significant. And, and, then, and then check this out, though. The record, the record high for a week is 23,324 in, in January of 2021. Which this this two thousand seven hundred and sixteen in the most recent seven days pales in comparison to this twenty three thousand number. So you could only imagine the amount of um, heartache, grief, um, families, and the, the medical uh, professionals, the medical community got to deal with when we're looking at such a, 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 a just a high number of twenty three thousand COVID nineteen related deaths in a week. That's a frightening thing. And uh, that, that speaks to, to the magnitude of the amount of work that's involved going on here, Dr. Hunt Caesar. No, absolutely. I mean, what I think, um, what, 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 what is happened, what has happened is that, you know, we, we've gone from, from such high numbers of like, you know, thousands and thousands of people dying a day. And then you, you come down to like, you know, like these smaller numbers and we think, oh, yeah, it's fine. And because we don't see and hear, um, and know people that you know that you know that it's that it's sort of done and you know it, it's over, but it's you know it's still the the fact of the matter still remains that this is a transition period, and we have to start to um, um, just respect it a little bit more. Like I've always said, that um, these are respiratory viruses, so these are the same. This is the same sort of phenomenon that happens with flu, but nobody talks about it. But we have a whole what 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 I like at the Department of Health is that, you know, there's a whole vaccine-preventable disease inspection 
or sector and that we monitor, um, you know, these deaths that, that occur in individuals who were unvaccinated or not immune when they had a chance to. So, the, you know, th- that's what people really need to understand, that vaccinations are tools to prevent um, death, which is at the core of what public health is. So, um, you know, we just need to remember that that public health exists for prevention. And it's not only important to COVID, but it's important to all the other viruses that we have, that we've um, made significant um, strides and, and successes in, 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 in preventing um, death and decreasing, uh, you know, the complications of some of these some of these viruses. No, 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 Brett. Um, Doctor Ellis just touched on, on on something there, which is education. Um, one of the things that um, Dwayne Henry and I spoke about um, is that uh, in the early days, I'm talking like I'd say May, May, June. Um, it was determined, or of the there was a belief that underlying sicknesses were were targeted by the virus. And now, you know, things like long COVID and we're reading about, about that. You know, as, as a doctor um, and studying this thing like you do on, a, on an hourly basis, a minute-by-minute minute basis, um, isn't there a high level of education that, that, that we're talking about here um, in a short period of time? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it was an education for, you know, all of us, um, both, both from the public health standpoint or from clinicians but but in the general public as well we just didn't know much uh, early on um and so yeah it was definitely a learning experience uh, for everyone um i think yeah compared to the very start to what we know now uh, <laughs> we know uh, you know tons and tons about this virus i mean and because of this you know there's new vaccines there's new treatments um uh, so, yeah, I mean, but that, that's our, our job to take the, take the information and take the data um, and, and use that to guide our decision making in, in trying to improve public health. And for that, I think it has been, been a success um, and, and will serve us well in, in the future um, for other public health issues as they come about. Ms. Stout, are you still doing the, the daily, if not every other day, um, group meetings to keep everybody abreast of what's going on? Uh, yep, <laughs> we still are. Um, you know, maybe the frequency changes a little bit. If there's a slow period, I will say right now, uh, the Department of Health meets daily. Uh, we still meet with other agencies frequently. I know from the lab and the epidemiology side, uh, we're doing a lot of work uh, still with the Department of Education. Um, but certainly, yeah, there's still a, a lot of interagency coordination that, that's been strengthened. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we still communicate uh, with a lot of those groups on a daily basis um uh, so yeah that's also been been, been great uh i think for for the government and for the community and, and for public health yeah Direct, director stout you mentioned you went on a you went to a conference um um in talking to to fellow conference attendees um we're pretty much are, are we going through the same thing like everybody else or is there anything acute or or different or what we're dealing with here in the territory Sure. So every jurisdiction has their own unique uh, challenge. I could say that um, across the board, but universally or fundamentally, yeah, we are facing the, the same things. So when we attend these conferences, we share ideas, we share war stories, <laughs> we share um, and we encourage each other and, and 
what uh, we are experiencing and we get to kind of bounce off ideas off one another um, about some things that we can implement in our own jurisdictions to help uh, improve public health overall, but specific to um, vaccinations and access and um, how things are trending and moving forward. So it's actually quite helpful. No, that's that's good. You know, um, uh, I know I asked Miss uh, Dr. Huntsiza to step in for a little bit, so I'm going to excuse um, the medical director right now, but not before I let the public know that um, Dr. Huntsiza, you hooked me up with my guests in the first hour, man. I owe you the wall on Arts Thursday. Oh. They they they, oh, they, so they they were awesome content and and the people people responded to it and, and so I want to thank you very much for for making analyze this um, what it is. Because today we had a great no, show. No, no, thank you. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Miss Miss Lawrence runs a, a fantastic um, program and has been for a long time. And we missed her dearly when she was out um, ill for 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 a while. And my daughter can't wait to 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 join but again. She loves it. It was what she loved to do for dance um, and gymnastics after school. So. And she and she mentioned that um, you know they, they normally travel, but because of COVID um, in twenty twenty, they couldn't travel like they want to. But they're looking forward to doing it again. Absolutely. That now it's it's a it's a wonderful opportunity for the for the the children of the Virgin Islands to get um, national international exposure, and I can't wait for you know Sage to travel abroad with Miss Lawrence. And COVID impact impacted everybody, and it conti- it continues to impact us. Thank you very much for joining us, Doc, and um, keep on keeping on. Okay, appreciate you. Thank Thanks you. Okay, you got bye. you got it. No, oh, no, Brent. When we well, we're going to take a break uh, in a little while, but when we come back, Brent, I want you to talk about the lab, and and uh, I want to get back to that, because one of the concerns that we have, you know, we get the table talk, me and former senators, we talk, and then we do a little bush tea with uh, Dwayne Henry, is, is continued investment and reinvestment here in the territory, and how important it is, and when we spoke about it earlier, you mentioned foresight. And and that's something that I think people tend to take for granted. You know, um, you should we should be working hard to stay ahead of the curve, and in doing that, you got to invest in your in your talent aptitudinally, and you got to invest via hardware, via infrastructure. So when we come back, I want us to to hone in on that and talk about some potential things that maybe we. The legislature, for those who may be listening, um, you know, they could appropriate some money to invest in certain infrastructure to keep us in lockstep, if not ahead of the curve, as it relates to public health. So we'll take a break. Come back. We got Ms. Manifest out. Uh, and uh, Dr. Brett Ellis joining us, Department of Health. Radio is a program brought to you by the Disability Rights Center of the Virgin Islands to promote a more inclusive Virgin Islands. Ability Radio brings you information on health care, art, culture, education, and current affairs where we engage in lively discussions with guests locally and abroad. Join us every Saturday morning at 1130 a.m. on WTJX-FM. Listening to the wings of a monarch butterfly. What a magical thought. 
they arrive here on the Day of the Dead, which we celebrate here in Mexico. And a lot of the indigenous people believe that it's the souls of their ancestors that are returning. You know? And it's very spiritual. That's On Point with me, Meghna Chakrabarty. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1. Great question. That is a great question. And that's a great question. Wow, that's another great question. That's uh that's a great question. Oh, that's a great <laughs> that's a great question. That is a great question. What a great question. On fresh air, you'll hear unexpected questions and unexpected answers. Weekdays at 2 p.m. right here on WTJ FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. I'm Scott Tong from Public Radio's Midday News Magazine, Here and Now. We bring you all the news that happens between the morning headlines and the afternoon wrap-up. Plus, conversations with authors and artists, stories that affect you, maybe a story about you. So join us for NPR's Midday News Magazine, Here and Now. Weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 p.m. right here on WTJX FM 93.1. It's a wonderful feeling. And we're back here at Analyze This Department of Health. Um, has joined us today. Uh, we got uh, Ms. Molly Fistout, uh, Immunization Director, right? Yep, Territorial Director, Immunization Program. Correct. And um, Dr. Brent Ellis, you're the, the lab director? Director of the lab, or what was the actual title? Correct, correct. Territorial Laboratory Director. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Before I get back to you, Brett, um, so the acronym is AIM, Ms. Stout? I hear you say yes. Association of Immunization mm-hmm. Managers. AIM? Yes, yes. And, mm-hmm. and, and are you able to meet um, quarterly or year annually or or whenever I feel like meeting, which is important? <laughs> no. <laughs> AIM normally has an annual meeting for all program managers. There are 64 jurisdictions within the United States, and I am on the executive uh, committee. Uh, last year, oh, yeah? this is my second term. Yes, I was appointed last year by my colleagues, and it's a two-year term. Some persons have a three-year term, but um, it's great. Uh, the meeting we had last week was for executive committee members as well as the Association Academy, the American Academy of Pediatrics. It was a joint uh, meeting to talk about vaccines for children, COVID vaccines, what's going on in that arena. There was a lot of conversation, um, some of which can't be uh, disclosed just yet because things are still in its infancy, but uh, it was really good. We have our annual meeting um, in the summer this year in May, which is quite ironic with all the changes happening um, nationally through President Biden regarding uh, the end of his, um, the end of the emergency response. So we have a lot going on. And we talk regularly, of course, um, via email, just sharing information. And AIM is wonderful. It's a wonderful organization and resource that keeps all of the program managers abreast of things that are going on on the Hill. And it allows us to communicate with one another as program managers to encourage each other and to uh, share ideas, as I'd mentioned, and to see what's going on in different jurisdictions, really. One of, one of my listeners said, Moneyface, I rock star. 
<laughs> so I just, I tell them I go say that on the air. So and you're letting we know you're there in the executive committee. So she she's accurate. You you a bigger a bigger rep. You're, I you're, represent uh, the people of the Virgin Islands. So yes, we're all rock stars. How about that? Oh, oh my gosh, this she's sharing rock stardom this morning. Ain't that something? Yes, I am. That's <laughs> uh, uh, like that. So Brett, um, hypothetical. The depart the committee on health at the legislature calls the Department of Health to the legislature for an update. And they tell you, and they said, they said, they said Dr. Ellis, I hear you to run the lab. And, and if I was to give you, if we, if we were to appropriate, because that's what they do in the legislature, if we were to appropriate a million dollars today for infrastructure so that we could stay in lockstep or ahead of the curve from an from a investment or a reinvestment perspective where our infrastructure is concerned, what areas would you suggest that we spend that money? Oh, yeah, that's a tough, tough question. And to stay out of the politics or economics, you know, historically, you know, public health is always underfunded, uh, whether it be at a state or jurisdictional level or even at, at the federal level. So there are times like COVID where we do get an influx of, of money. And that is when Department of Health has been really good or, or, uh, or public health has been really good in leveraging and taking advantage of that to, to rebuild public health, to buy new equipment, to invest in those you know expensive uh, capital outlay costs. Uh, I think the real challenge for, for public health and what I hope doesn't happen when COVID wanes is that all those funds start to, to dry up. Uh, I think it's more advantageous at this point to have some consistent funding every year, you know, to provide job mm -hmm. opportunities and improve public health. But certainly the, the Department of Health, since we started it uh, with COVID, we do, you know, want to fill in gaps, uh, make testing more efficient. Nobody wants to be waiting days. Um, and CDC's done great in, in investing in some of those areas, whether it's uh, the information technology, making improvements so you can get your test reports on your phone or can schedule vaccinations online. Um, for us, it's also a very interesting and really um, uplifting time at the Department of Health uh, insofar as that <coughs> we know that uh, we started that uh, demolition in, in um of Charles Harwood um, and some of that mediation and cleaning it out. And, you know, they're really far along on those architectural drawings and they have, you know, complicated timelines. But the place looks beautiful. Um, in the end, yeah, I think we should have uh, a beautiful Department of Health for our, our population, uh, you know, and equal or better care than, than elsewhere. So I can't say for one thing specific, um, but I would like to see sustained uh, funding. I don't want to see things start to drop off, you know, at the end of COVID when, when some of that federal money dries out, uh, that we'd have to, you know, keep building and building uh, from, from you know, everything we've built so far. No, I like, I like that. So, you, so you, you're not like me. You're in the big picture. Um, because you, you've been in the you've been in the <laughs> you've been in the trenches, and and you, you touched on the, the real issue, which is um, the on the funding of public health historically, and that's something that we we need to we need to look at, um, because if the virus didn't teach us anything, uh, if, if the virus taught us at least one thing, it is that public health um, need, needs to be needs to be resourced to the best of its ability because. Viruses can happen. Pandemics happen. 
Yeah, and it's not just a you know a new building or a fancy piece of equipment. No. You know, the real value is in our people. Yeah. You know, we started a lab with you know no one. We're up you know half a dozen people. Uh, we can't lose them. They they've been great. They're a tremendous asset, um, all from here locally. And yeah, to lose lose that. Uh, value and their knowledge and you know they're younger than I am I'm getting old I want to hand that torch off uh, but we do have a, a great group uh, of younger generation uh, getting involved in, in public health and that's really really also exciting to see and I want to make sure that those opportunities are, are there for them in the future to provide you know those services for for the Virgin Islands oh, that's awesome and I, I like that I like that big picture perspective uh, response that you give just now so Ms. Stowe, let, let me go back to the recent surge, right? Because, uh, you know, we, we don't track the numbers here on a daily basis. We just do that. That's a rudimentary thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a habitual thing, and I ain't going to get rid of it, you know, because, you know, people believe that the— and the president even made, to me, um, you know, a very reckless statement about the pandemic being over when, in fact, you know, we got to be careful making declarations like that. As recently as January 23rd. We were up to 296 actives in the territory. And, uh, you know, you're looking at immunizations and all that stuff. And I'm sure you and Brent watching the daily numbers. What's it like from a health professional standpoint, a public health executive standpoint, uh, saying to yourself, I know the numbers are going to come down, but I want to know when. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, the, the, the trend and the history has taught us that there's going to be a, an abatement. The number's going to recede. But um, the bending backwards, um, talk a little bit of how you look at it as a health professional. Um, looking forward to getting the data that tells us, okay, we're at 296 actives on January 23rd. And then one week later, we dunked 129. That, 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 that got to be a relief for you as a health professional, Mr. When you see, is, when you see, when you see the, the numbers bending back to normal. Right. It is. Um, so we move, we proceed with caution. Um, even though uh, we're happy to see the numbers drop, we still proceed with caution. And as I'd said, uh, we still make sure that our messaging is that of encouraging persons to get vaccinated, especially, you know, bivalent vaccine. Um, we use the numbers to help educate. And that's really the key. It, it shows us that the educational efforts are working. Us being on programs like this, being at the fair, being out there, uh, come, telling people to come to community health, get vaccinated, go to your private provider, um, you know, make sure that they have uh, the vaccine, get vaccinated, and making sure that messaging stays consistent. Um, when the numbers drop like that, it, it ensures that what we're doing is right. And we need to keep doing it. So, you know, it's like a parent telling the child, why am I have to say this over and over again? Well, yeah, it's going to sink in. And so it, it kind of um, does that for us. Brett, Brett, what's it like looking at the data and, and, and saying, man, uh, we know it's going to happen. It can't happen soon enough. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I mean, you look at these numbers every day. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, you know, actually, I, I do want to give uh, you know some thanks to the epidemiology division 
and the other doctor, Ellis, and her team, that they, you know, are putting this data out for us daily. I mean, I think that has been really helpful just to keep keep an eye keep an eye on it. Uh, so I, I do appreciate. It. I do like the numbers. I do like the data. Uh, but sometimes I actually like to uh, not look at it and listen to you give us our give us our morning <laughs> updates. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely helpful, and, and that's part of public health is that we're sharing all the information that that we have uh, with with the population um, so that we can make our own uh, decisions and and be informed. Um, So, yeah, I think it's important that we're getting those numbers out, uh, even if it is uh, sometimes disappointing, but I try to be the optimist or or half full. And uh, overall, yeah, things have improved greatly uh, since the start of of COVID with all the uncertainties. Without a doubt. So quickly, wrapping up the conversation, let's talk about um, Department of Health being at the fair uh, this weekend. Sure. So Department of Health will definitely be present um, at the Agricultural Fair. And congratulations again um, to all the organizers of the fair, everyone behind the scenes to put this together. But we are going to be there in full force and we are going to have vaccinations available, including flu vaccines. So we're encouraging everyone to please come out, get your booster, get your flu vaccine. You can get both at the same time. Um, there is no issue with that, and uh, take advantage of the opportunity to get it done. We're going to have, going to be there throughout the entire course of the agricultural fair. So we're not, we're we're making sure that we remove any barrier, as I'd mentioned earlier, to having anyone um, have access to vaccines. So come on out and get yourself vaccinated. Any closing thoughts, Brett? No, I'm just looking forward to seeing everyone out at the fair uh, this weekend. Really, really looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, wish everyone the best, um, and thanks for having us today. No, thanks for making some time. And, uh, you know, our, our second show that we ever had, the Department of Health kind of helped validate us. You know, we got the quality guests. That was Tuesday, April 28th, and, you know, we built a relationship since then, and I look forward to talking with, with, with you guys and gals, at least on a monthly basis, letting the public know, don't let your guard down. And I'm sure for me, I, I feel good seeing people wearing masks from time to time. I don't wear my mask all the time, but I love seeing people wearing their masks because it lets me know that they're aware. And, and awareness is, is critical, Ms. Stout. Yes, that's been our message, and that will continue to be our message. Uh, take whatever steps necessary. And we just ask, like, you know, now that there is no mask mandate, that persons who choose to wear a mask or don't choose to wear a mask, that there's equal or mutual respect for one another. Um, if someone chooses to wear a mask or not. Don't feel no way. That's what we just said locally. Don't feel no way. <laughs> Don't feel no way. Thank you very much, Miss um, Manifesto, uh, Immunization, Territorial Immunization Director for the Department of Health, and um, Dr. Brett Ellis, uh, Territorial Director uh, for our labs, uh, representing the Department of Health. Tell Commissioner Tita and Esther Ellis, we say heal up. Wow, and we will do, will do. And we missed them, of course, uh, Dr. Hansisa joining us again this morning. Thank you very much, both of you. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you. You got it. You got a great discussion this morning uh, with the Department of Health. Like I said, you know, um, when we crank this thing up, I never forget, you know, the early days when I was still getting my feet wet, you know, being a, a daily talk show host and trying to make sure, you know, we fill in the, the hourly slots, 8 to 9 and 9 to 10, uh, sometimes the whole 8 to 10. Um, with um, quality content and and actually establishing that the show is an informational show and not a confrontational show, which is somewhat unique here in the Virgin Islands and uh, 
Department of Health helped us to that end, and uh, you know we're grateful. So every time uh, they said they want to come on or we look out for them, you know we we work on making it happen. <clears throat> I think pe- the people appreciate it. Remember that, that I tell you that that first show there, right? Right, because you know that was the heart of the pandemic, you know. Because the pandemic had been announced like a month, five weeks before that, and we got so many calls that day, and it was mostly elderly women who were calling and asking questions related to travel, um, related to um, testing. Uh, remember back then, you had to have this positive, uh, uh, a negative test or all kind of thing. And of course, the, the, the administration too. They were doing a good job with the Monday briefings and it became, I think it was it was daily for a while there. You check? But we did good from early on. I, I think that's what really hurt us with the, um, <clears throat> with, with, with vaccinations. We did such a very good job. There was a time in May, right? We had zero actives in the territory. But of course, the territory was locked down, right? But in May of 2021, I remember I texted the governor. I said, Governor, ain't got no, ain't got no actives in the territory. He said, shh, don't say nothing. And then, of course, you know, we benefited from it. A lot of people were traveling um, to the Virgin Islands. And other, other islands were in full lockdown. And, you know, we did well. And Brent touched on something today. When federal money dry up, right? And keep in mind, you know, the, the, uh, the, the pandemic hit us in the middle of recovery, so we don't have, you know, access to revenues, uh, dollars, you know, f- f- because of the hurricane. So we go, we go come out of this more educated, um, more hardened from an infrastructure standpoint. And, uh, you know, if we learn from this, communicating virtually, having to do so, um, you know, we... We got our work out for us. Thank you very much, Miss Harrigan, Miss Nelson, and Miss Lawrence. Uh, our number one, uh, Dr. Hunt Caesar for hooking that up, and uh, Dr. Hunt Caesar herself, uh, Brett Ellis, and of course, Manifest Out, Zoe Zimmet for hooking this up today, and of course, my engineer, Jamar. Lord, Jamar. This morning. Talk to you tomorrow. Be good, be safe. Bye bye. The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters. You know exactly how you take your morning coffee. Knowing where to get news you can rely on is just as simple. Listen to Morning Edition from NPR News every weekday. From 6 to 8 a.m. here on WTJX FM 93.1. Your NPR station in the Virgin Islands. You can also listen on demand via the WTJX app, available for download from the App Store in Google Play. So I spent the past year trying to figure out what news designed for 21st century humans might look like. One of the things that really stuck with me was that we now know that humans actually need hope to get up in the morning. And I don't think as a journalist, I ever thought about it that way. We're always looking for new and better ways to understand the world we live in. That's On Point with me, Meghna Chakrabarty. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands.